We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guests. These insights are also in the show notes. And all the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the retweets. Thanks for the emails. Just thanks for all you do. Now, on to my guest for today. Rachel Michaelberg, author of the book Crash, How I Became a Reluctant Caregiver. Rachel was an actor-singer mother of two and in a troubled marriage when her husband suffered a plane crash that left him severely disabled. Crash is a memoir about the choices she made when faced with no choice, she she thought, about having to become a full-time caregiver, a story that she found needed to be told. In this intimate talk, Rachel and I share reflections on the difficult experience of becoming a caregiver to a spouse, the vital need for caring for oneself, and practicing compassion for even the harshest critics. Rachel also relates her journey of learning to running a business, first as a voice teacher when she had to leave performing behind, and then as the author promoting her book and the vital necessity of learning to value yourself. Now, let's get better together. Rachel Michael Burke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's so funny because we were just talking about the class I did for Brooke Warner over at She Writes Press. And the reason why we're talking is because you pitched me because after I gave the class and it was a great pitch and you have this great book called Crash and it's something that resonates with me and we'll talk all about that. But it was funny because you said, oh, I thought this was just going to be practice and you were going to give me some feedback. And it turns out, well, we're talking. <laughs> so so the, 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 I guess the lesson here is you just never know out there in La La Land. <laughs> you just never know. Yeah. And I think that whole personal connection thing was, was a 
big part of it, you know, that, you know, you and I have, have had tragedies in our lives. And, um, so it just was something that kind of sparked your interest and, you know, here we are. There we are. I mean, and you're a singer, you're a coach. I mean, it's so fascinating. Author, I know maybe reluctant author, but I mean, your book won an award. So, you know, you're pretty, yeah, you're pretty legit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I have this idea. Oh, I have to write another book in order to be call- really called an author. But, ah. you know, it's, it's a little bit of that imposter syndrome. Yeah. That, that's happens, going on. Happens a lot for entrepreneurs. Anyone creative is going to you know, hit up against that. And I'm, I I can't wait to dive into that, dive into your book called crash. Um, but before we get into all that, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Yeah. So, uh, never had it in my mind to be an author. Um, I, you know, I was always pretty good at writing in school and, um, much better than math. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, came naturally to me and really enjoyed English and languages, foreign languages. And, um, but my real passion was singing and and acting and, um, being on stage. And so I did that for many years. And, um, what propelled me into this, um, other, uh, this, this writing this book was that, um, my my husband David, we had been married 10 years. We were both in our mid-40s and we had two kids, ages six and seven. And he was involved in a small plane crash that he survived, but with a very severe traumatic brain injury. And he um, became completely not a vegetable, but but cognitively, physically impaired, greatly impaired, and would need, turned out eventually learned that he would need care for the rest of his life 24-7. And our marriage, um, the twist to the plot a little bit is that our marriage was on shaky ground when the accident happened. So there was already that ambivalence. Um, And so then I was suddenly thrust into this role of being his caregiver. Um, And about three and a half years, three to four years after his his accident, um, I just... I just felt this compulsion. It, it wasn't like I heard voices, <laughs> but I felt this. I just, it just, the thought just kind of hit me that I, I need to write this down because the journey that I took, the journey that I, that I went on um, kind of unwillingly um, was a journey that I felt would be that others have experienced as well. And that suddenly um, something happens in your case, it was your, you know, your wife's illness, um, and you were in a very different situation, um, with how close you were and all of that. Um, but still a a trauma, a tragedy is a tragedy. And it's, 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 it, it forces us into these new roles that we may, um, and usually are not be ready for. Um, and, um, and yet we feel obligated to do. And that's what I wanted to explore because when I, as what I do, what I usually do um, in my life is I, I, I read to, to find out more about stuff. And I tried to find a story like mine, like that um, I really ultimately did not take on that role of being his caregiver and the kind of um, expectations that his family had of me and that other 
others in the community that, oh, well, that's, you're just, of course you're going to do that. Um, so I couldn't find that story. I couldn't find, I found stories of people who'd risen to the challenge and, uh, you know, and become better people for it. And, 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 you know, God love them. And I consider them heroes. Um, but that I was more of kind of an anti-hero, I guess you would say. Um, and so I just literally felt compelled and I was like, I need to write this down and I don't know where it's going to take me. I don't really have any, I, I did, publishing felt like a, a, a gazillion light years away. So I, I just, I'm just going to take some cl- writing classes and just kind of start, <laughs> see where it right. took me. Right, right. And it took me to this book. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Well, that's the start, obviously. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's the start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my experience with caregiving, uh, you know, reluctant caregiver as well. My situation was a little bit different. I mean, we were basically newlyweds when it all happened and I would, would be lying if I said I hadn't had that thought of like, do I really, can I really do this? Yeah. Um, Thankfully, uh, you know, did rise to the occasion and had a lot of support and help. And there was just a lot of things that kind of went butter side up <laughs> as opposed to butter side down. I mean, I had been divorced before, before I met Jane and I, I, I know what it feels like to have that distance in a relationship where you're like, ah, oh, this is, this is not working out. And, you know, you want it to work out, but then you don't, and there's different priorities. People change. I mean, let's life, right? It's just, you know, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's, it's very tough. And, you know, I asked myself continually throughout this um, process, um, would I have, would, would I have made a different decision if our relationship had been in um, very strong at the time? And I, I kind of think the answer is even then I wouldn't have been able to do it because, you know, with a brain injury, um, he became a, he became a very different person. He became like a, like a seven-year-old. Um, and there was no, but there was no hope that that would get improved. Um, you know, it, be, it just became right. clear with, yeah, that it, it wasn't going to, to change or get better. Um, and so in fact, it would probably deteriorate over time. Um, and so, um, I think that was an important question to ask and, and to, to ponder, but you know, the situation was what it was. And I, I had to make that that very, very gut-wrenching decision based on, um, you know, what I knew of myself and what I was, what my, what my limits and boundaries were. Um, and that, you know, and I had these two kids to raise and, and they both had their issues as well. You know, um, one is on the spectrum, one has, you know, anxiety disorder, and um, this was probably exacerbated that. So there was just, there's only so much I could give before yeah. yeah, I folded. And I knew, I knew that if, if he had, if I was his full-time caregiver and even with help, because, you know, we lived in this little house and, you know, having caregivers come into your house is, it, it, it is, it's just so disruptive. And I, it was really, really hard. And I dealt with guilt for years and years and years. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, my mom is dealing with this right now with my dad. My dad, my dad has uh, dementia and Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and it came on pretty quick. Like 
couple of years ago, he's walking around and talking. Now he stares at the wall. I mean, he still like knows we're there, but you know, they've been married 52 years, 53 is some crazy amount of time. Right. And, you know, it's a different relationship when the cognitive ability is no, it's like, it's no longer your, she's like, it's interesting. Cause she would say, well, you know, dad is no longer dad and but he but she's got to make these decisions and they're tough and thankfully you know she's got three boys we're all adults now and you know we're dealing with it together and of course i've got the caregiving experience reluctantly of course but you know ha- was happy to do it and was in a different life sp- stage and different circumstances and everyone's circumstance is different that's why it's always important for me personally and i tell this to everyone like if you've learned something write it down Cause you just never know. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt so alone and so bent during the time I was doing it. I was thought I was making the wrong decision. I had lots of, I, mean, I had tons of support mm-hmm. family and friends were just like, you know, we're, we're with you team Jane all the way, you know, and I still had the doubts, you know? Well, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I think if we, if we try to remind ourselves that, everyone around, everyone we meet is, is there's some burden going on. There's something they're carrying, you know, and to try to, to, to meet them with compassion. And, um, and so when I, when I had some haters (laughs) and there's stories about the haters in the book, Mm -hmm. um, who made things just made a bad situation, even worse. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to remind myself, um, you know, they don't, they have no idea what, they're not in my shoes. They, yeah. I, I have to just stay true to my vision yeah. and, and, and at the same time, try to be as supportive and loving and, and, and generous to my injured husband as possible as I possibly could. And of course, establish the relationship between him and the children Yeah, and try to foster that relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so anyway, so, I felt like I felt like my story wasn't that unusual, actually, even though I hadn't read it, and that there are so many people that are affected by um, caregiving of some, that that either have to provide it or they know someone who or they will, you know. And we usually think of it in terms of like oh, our parents are going to need care, but and so there are there are facilities set up for that, um, but it's when it's a spouse. As, as you know, it's a, it's a whole different thing. And you're, yeah. yeah, you're losing, you're losing that partnership. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the loss is the, the what I really like what you said about the capacity, you know, um, that struck me as a very real thing in terms of the capacity to give on both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would get upset and angry. It's like, I lost my wife, but she does not have the capacity right now because she's going through chemo, like these nasty things. Like I'm just amazed that she actually, you know, says hello sometimes. Right. I mean, right. and she was a different person, actually her attitude towards this whole thing and how she, she lived her life. That's the real, that that's the gift she gave me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't eat. I mean, it's in the book that the, the book that's going to come out in uh spring of 2023. It's just, it, it, it's, <laughs> If you're the caregiver, it's a ton easier if the person you're caring for is like got their act together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like orders of magnitude easier and they set the tone as well. And, and you know, I didn't have the experience of people giving me, you know, like 
giving me a hard time about how I handled things. And it was, a, you know, again, a different situation, but the, what you said about compassion, like the burden that people hold, that is a universal thing. Oh you yeah. Just never know what's know. going on in someone's head. And to be compact, to sit with someone and be compassionate towards that is the best gift you can give them. And I even remember when people, you know, after she died, they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, all these platitudes that just, they don't help. They don't know what to say. Yeah. Right. And they don't, well, that they don't. And I didn't know what to say either. I mean, full disclosure yeah. back in the diet would say the same silly things, but what I found is when I found people that knew how to sit with it and like lean, lean in is yeah. not the right word, but just sit with it, you know, it's very beautiful. And I think we need to remember this as humans, but also not to an extreme as like entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and, you know, authorpreneurs, um, different situation, different dynamic, but the, the sitting with someone feeling, looking at the compassion very powerful message. Yeah. And even if they don't, they can't take it in at that moment, they, they'll remember. And, um, and you're just putting all that energy out in the world is, is so important to do. It is very much. So I remember I had a friend, Greg (laughs) just calls me. It's in the book. It was the best thing. He calls me, says, Hey, just wanted to check in. We don't have to talk about Jane. If you don't want to, you can just, let's just complain about other stuff. And I'm like, thank you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And, and and that's, I think the whole thing I've learned from all this and, 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 and how it, you know, in a roundabout way, how this all applies, right. I mean, this is an entrepreneur show, but like yeah. your story resonated so high with me. And, and I love authors, right? Like I'm a big fan, right? So I, of anyone that has any kind of creative output like that, you have to be compassionate to the other person's situation. And just because you wouldn't do it that way, doesn't mean it's not the right way. Exactly. <laughs> hard to say, hard to do, hard mm-hmm. not to judge. Usually mm-hmm. the judgy people have got some issues that they're not. Usually what I've found is the ones that judge the most are the ones that would do oh, exactly yeah. the same thing. Oh, and they're like, yeah. they're going to jet in a microsecond because they're like, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I feel bad about that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm Jewish, but, uh, uh, you know, quoting Jesus might be kind of strange right now. But, um, you know, judge, <laughs> judge not lest you yourself be judged. Right. I mean, there's some real wisdom. I think he said that. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in some I mean, he was also Jewish. So I he mean, was he was <laughs> I mean, he was, you yeah. know, like I have, people yeah. don't remember that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was a Jewish carpenter. He was, you know, he was a rabbi until, you know, they made him into that. Like he didn't say that stuff. Yeah. And years later, I mean, we're talking <laughs> generations later. Now, yeah. Let's right. write this stuff down, you know, and, and agree. I like, look, I'm not saying good about it, but just there's, there's one scene in my book where I actually get ill. And that's one of the reasons I make this decision is because my health just takes a huge nosedive oh, yeah. six weeks, um, five to six weeks after David's crash. And, um, I had an eating disorder that had kicked back in. And I talk about that in the book and um, I was being checked into this, you know, this uh, Catholic hospital. uh, And there was a big crucifix over my bed, you know, and I, and, um, and my sister, (laughs) 
my sister's like, you know, there's a crucifix over your bed. I was like, yeah, well, I'll take all the help I can get. You know? <laughs> um, so um, I'm like, yeah, you and me, Jesus, we'll, we'll get through this, <laughs> even though I have. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was Pontius Pilate that the one that signed the order. Like, you know, <laughs> right, come on. Exactly. It was the Romans were doing some yeah. pretty nasty stuff back then. Um, but it's interesting that you, you say that because yeah, that, that there's also the capacity within the, you and the caregiver. I remember, I mean, I got sick a lot. I had lots of health problems and it, it, it took me, I'm still going through, this has almost been five years since she died. I'm still going through health issues with that just because the overeating, the, like, there's just so many, your immunity is so affected when, when you're stressed, you know, and of course be like, Oh, well, let's try to relieve, alleviate your stress. That's not going to happen when you're, when you're a a caregiver. And then you know that it's, I mean, how, how long was it of the actual, that she really needed care? Was it like a couple of years or 15 months, 15? Oh, that's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty intense 15 months. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the, the, I mean, in terms of caregiving, like it wasn't till the last month where she was like, couldn't walk around very well. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you know, she was very mobile and yeah. had a good, you know, she could talk. I mean, she, she had chemo brain. If anyone knows what chemo brain is, like yeah. she forgets foggy stuff. And, yeah, yeah. Foggy. She'd have little tingling in her hands and like not want to eat, but Generally, you still I had you still had her. You still oh, yeah, had she was, the connection. Yes. Yeah, she, she there was there was varying degrees of it, but because see, you know, as as sort of the progression came along, and it was sort of it was pretty clear that this could not go well. This is going to maybe end badly. Um, depending on how people handle that, they sort of they can do one of two, well, not one of two, but like they retreat into themselves a little bit. They become a little more um, childlike because I mean, they're, they have no control. The, the thing that, that, that really was in, it's just, I have no control over anything. This is really bad, but I'll tell you, like, I just, I hope I have, the, I have like a 10th the courage she had mm-hmm. when I meet my demise. Um, and I think about it often. I think about, you know, what would happen if I die? Like, and not in a morbid way, but like every day is precious, you know, it could change in an instant. Like, And, it, and in my, and it, in my it case, did. it did literally. And, so, and his life was as he knew it, it, it was over. Yeah. yeah and, over. and with that, yeah. that plane crash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so it, what's interesting is that, so you never really prepare for that type of thing, but we didn't things- even have our will set up. There you go. You know? and, yeah, exactly. And, but there's things you can, you know, like what I've learned is, is through this whole process is that, is that you have to, to two things. One, you got to put your oxygen mask on first. I'm sorry. It seems selfish, but if you can't help yourself, you're not going to help anyone else. You're not you, selfish. No, it's not selfish. Right. But it's hard. Yeah. Like people look at you like, Oh, how come you're not, you're like, look, I'm about to jump. I mean, I remember after she died, there were times where I'm walking down the street. I'm like, I wonder what would happen if I walked in front of a bus. How would it feel? Because I need to feel something. Because mm-hmm. the drugs and alcohol, you know, the pot and everything, the alcohol, I, I, I numbed it. But it's like, if I walked in front of this bus, what would happen? How like, would it feel to have the pain end? Hundred percent, right? So you can train yourself to deal with that, 
but no one thinks about that Mm -mm. until you've gone through it and you've survived it. And you're like, I think I should train a little bit more on this resilience stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I should work on my mental health. I should meditate. I should really think about death. I should. And again, this is an entrepreneur show and we're talking about pretty, pretty deep stuff, (laughs) but every entrepreneur, every human will go through these emotional things. And when you're at a company, I mean, I was running her company, the pressure gets even worse because you're like, I got to take care of this company. I got to take care of my, my partner. I don't know what I need. People are asking me. I have no clue. I want to walk in front of a bus. I want to drink another half a bottle of scotch, you know, toke up on my vape pipe to just be able to feel normal or what I would always do, go to the cafe, double espresso and, you know, the the worst scone filled thing you could have just to feel normal for massive amounts of carbs. Yeah. Just five minutes of normal. Just give me five minutes and not feel normal. Been there. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And a lot of people like when they start a company and they feel that stress, because it's, it's a similar type of stress. It's just not as intense. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't like we chatted about earlier. I, I didn't really think about the business part at all. Um, when I, you know, it was, I was so enmeshed in learning how to be a writer and learning the craft and, um, getting my manuscript, you know, taking, making sure that that was something I wanted to present to the world. And, um, and there, I'd heard these kinds of not rumors, but I, they facts that um, getting a book sold is hard. And especially if you don't, if you can't publish with one of the big publishers, which most of us don't anymore. Uh, and so it's, you really become this one person show of, of being, you know, being, a, even though I hired a publicist, you still, you have to do a lot of this, this, you know, work on your own and, um, and understand budgets and how, you know, every time I turn around now, there's some, there's a whole business out there on marketing to authors and, uh, oh, you take this class on, on, on how to sell your book. And, oh, you can take this class on how to pitch so you can maybe get a Ted talk and, oh, t- oh, here's this service we offer that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, where should I throw my dollars? Where should I put my dollars? So that, um, no, I'm very lucky in that this is, this is really more, this is a passion project. This is, um, this was just something my soul, um, needed to, to do. Um, and so, um, and, and, you know, like most other writers, I, I have a day job, (laughs) um, but in my day job, I actually had to learn how to, how to run that business as well. And I, you know, I, I trained as a classical singer, I was singing professionally and trying to make that work. And then this accident happened and I had two young kids and, you know, most of the work is nights and weekends for singers. And I was also a cantor in a synagogue, which is all nights and weekends stuff too. And I'm just like, I can't, I need to be home more. So I decided to start teaching voice, but I had no clue how to do a budget, how to, how to market myself, how to, um, how to create boundaries around my students' attendance and how to value my, my skills um, so I actually hired a business coach after teaching for 15 years, I hired a coach in how to run a music business because those people exist. 
Yeah, all, I think there's a coach for there's everything. There's a coach for everything is what I was going to say. Yeah. And um, really learned how to, how to value myself and uh, my time and to, to, you know, get people to pay in advance. Imagine that. And um, not Shop. to cancel, you know, charge them if they cancel. <laughs> um, and it was, it was great because what it did was it, it, it empowered me to be a better teacher because I didn't have resentments. And um, so basically so these two careers that, again, I never, I, 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 I trained to be a singer. That's what I wanted to do. Um, being a teacher and being paid for that was a whole different thing. Um, and so I had to learn how to, to do that business. And then with the author stuff, I also had to having to learn it. That's more um, currently I'm, I'm in that process right now, even though my book published in April, it's, it's ongoing as never, never, they always say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It, and you it, just, it never ends. It yeah, never ends. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I do, I do have the, the publicist and of course, Brooke Warner also, but the question you always get asked is what, what do you want? Yeah. You know, of course I want to be on NPR and, you know, and I want to be in the Oprah. New York times oh, and I want to be, Oprah's, well, Oprah's, Oprah's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oprah's got to dream big. Oprah um, Club. You know, and, and Reese Witherspoon book club. <laughs> right, right. There you go. Um, and, um, but, you know, truthfully, I think there are two things I want. <laughs> One is a little less, um, is a, is a little bit more selfish, but I, I do, I do envision this story um, on screen and mm -hmm. that's kind of, I'll just throw that in the, out in the universe. Um, yeah. But the other thing is um, I, I wanted to reach people who are in a similar situation or who might be, and to just even introduce the idea that you are allowed to consider your options mm -hmm. when you are thrust into a role that is, that is, you know, is going to tear you apart or yeah, crush you, make you implode. It, it is, is it's, it's okay. And to even give yourself permission to just think about it because, because we, sometimes we just, as I did when the crash first happened and for the first six months, Oh, there's no question. This is what good people do. Good people take care of each other. I made a promise. I made a vow. This is what I, this is what you do. You know um, you don't abandon people. Um, but there were, there's so much gray in that. There's so many different iterations of what that scenario could look like. And that's what I explored. And that's what I explore in the book. So I really, when I hear from readers like, oh, thank you for saying that you voiced things that I've thought, but never said out loud anyway. And um, so that's so gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a statistic. I don't remember where I heard about it, but during a catastrophic event, you know, half a couple's end up. Yeah. But not, and, you know, from the outside, it's the whole vow, right? I mean, my, my book, my memoirs about, you know, that is vow. about your caregiving and uh, the vow, right. Okay. It's about the vow, right? Like, right. Like this is what it means. If you chose that route, this is what mm -hmm. this means. Right. And I had to explore that for a good year or two. Like, what the heck is this thing about? Right. Because commitment's important, but you know, I was divorced before, right? Yeah. That commitment, poof, right? I, I, I can't, you know, there's no parallels to it. 
but it's a situational circumstance given where you're at. And it's, you know, the, think, when you think about it that way, um, in some cases, like as an example, like let's just say, okay, you, you know, you, you keep with the commitment and it ends up just ruining everyone. Like the, the, there is a thought process of what is the best for this situation, even given the fact that I, I don't have the capacity for this. I need to work to find someone that has capacity for this so that the rest of this doesn't go. I mean, like, well, the right that's, uh, you know, the the pivotal scene in the book is when the social worker um, meets with me. This is after I've gotten out of the hospital and I'm just wasted. I'm, I'm like 95 pounds and I've got, you know, I was, well, I had the eating disorder, but I also, um, I had an abdominal condition and then I was in the hospital for 10 days. And, and this was in, so David was in one hospital, my brain injured husband was in one hospital because he was still having seizures and I was in another one. And, um, you know, I got out and he was supposed to come home and, and they had to delay that because I got sick. And then I was just like, completely a mess. And she said, you know, maybe we should consider having him go to this residential facility. And I was like, Oh no, 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 that's not a possible. I can't, I can't do that. You know? And then she said, no, you, you're really not, um, this, you're not going to be able to take care of him because of your health. And then your children are going to suffer. And as soon as she said that, I just went, Oh, okay. I'll consider it. So she gave me the permission to think differently, right? And I think ultimately it was my decision. Yeah. Well, what's funny is like there's a scene in my book about a social worker, which I'm not going to give it away. Oh, really yeah. Good. See, like, maybe I'm giving too much away. Oh, no, I'm sure you've got <laughs> my book anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Yeah, you definitely should. But there is a scene where Jane and I talk to a social worker. And it's honestly, it's probably one of the best things I've ever written in my life. And it was so hard to write, Mm -hmm. so hard to write and so emotional, but gosh, like the clarity. Mm -hmm. I I mean, that that's the first scene I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the first, because I'm like this, this is it. It's um, and, and as writers we're told there should be a hook, right? Mm -hmm. There should be um, like, did you ever read wild by Cheryl Strayed? No. Okay. She's hiking uh, the Pacific Crest Trail. I've and, heard of uh, it. I've yeah. It's it. a very famous book. Made into think, a movie I, with Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> yeah. There's, hey, Reese. Just if, you're, if you're listening, Reese. Yeah. If you're, you're, <laughs> you're book book in a good club. way. But the book opens the very like first few paragraphs. She's sitting on this mountain and her boots, she took her boots off because her feet are killing her. You know, her boot, one of her boots falls down the mountain and she's like in the middle of nowhere. Right. So she, so she, she, she's going to walk barefoot and she actually starts laughing. I think I, if I remember correctly in the scene and that is such a hook, right? So, and then of course she revisits that scene later because that's kind of in the middle of the story. And then she, she right. goes, and so that's what I thought, okay, maybe I'll open my book with that scene where I'm on the, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the social worker and she's giving me, she's advising me not to take him home and then go back and, and, and tell the story from the beginning. Um, I didn't end up that way, but um, um, yeah, I think it's important just to get those, those scenes out. 
to all your writers out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's the same thing for anyone building anything creative, right? Oh yeah. It's it's not the editing process is a different process. Like you got to be working on the material. That means it's got to get out of your head. Mm-hmm. And if it's if you know what, I can't tell you how many words I have like cut out, put away, whatever. Same thing with the product iteration after iteration after iteration. You just don't know until you test it. And testing it could be, I write it down. I don't write it down. You know, like, but getting it in out of your head, bouncing around in your head and on the page is important. I think that for my memoir, the first scene I wrote was the week, the week leading up to Jane dying and, and Jane dying. Mm-hmm. That was like the, fr- I remember, I even remember it was the day she died. I started writing that. And mm. I'm like, I just got to get this out of my head. It was so just painful. But, you know, I had also done this thing called the care circle. So I was like giving people updates. Right. So I was processing it as I went along, but still. Yeah. You got to get it out and you got to get it out so you can like. Yeah. Just uh, brainstorm those ideas and just. Yeah. Uh, and being an actor honestly helped me with my scene writing quite a bit because I was able oh, to I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's on point, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. I know my motivation on this one. I really got to yeah. say it, you know, like, exactly. I describe the way I'm really feeling like crap right now. Yeah. And I mean, you can't remember what people actually said, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So you have to, you have to just kind of like re- recreate it in your head and uh, what, what would I have said? And yeah. How would, she have, how would she have responded? And maybe how would she have like, you know, grimaced or, or smiled or whatever it was. Yeah. So, um, well, it's definitely a very fascinating like process mm. because creativity is always in any kind of creativity. It's always like, there's that bit of, ah, can I really do this? And I think, you know, life is like that too. I mean, the capacity, if you don't have the capacity to do the job well, or to do it as you think whatever has to happen, then I think it's perfectly acceptable and probably ethical to be like, how do I solve this problem in a different way? Mm-hmm. And you know what people are going to give, I mean, look, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, an author, creative, I mean, how many haters are out there just like shooting bullets at your, at your idea. They've probably never put anything out there, never been in the situation you've been in. Everyone I've ever met that's lost a spouse or gone through what you've been through any, any one of them, the most, they get it. They like the most compassionate people. They just, you know, if they've survived it, some of them don't survive it. Some of them drink yeah. themselves to death or like, but when they've survived it and you sit down and you can just feel the presence of, I understand what you're saying. And the compassion is, it's not empathy anymore. Right. Cause empathy, I always thought was, you know, I'm really empathetic. Well, the funny thing about empathy is empathy is a two-way street. Like you should, both people, you should be feeling it for both you and the person, but it tends to get wrapped up in sympathy, sympathy, empathy. Right. But I, what I found, and this took me a long time to think about is like, well, if I want to, I got to get through that sympathy, empathy to compassion. So I can take action on what just happened because that is the mechanism of, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I think, well, I think the, I mean, the lesson of all of this, other than, of course, read your book and read my book when it comes out (laughs) is, um, you know, life's going to throw stuff at you and it's some of it's going to suck. And I'm sorry. It's people say, you know, 
especially when like I have friends who's, you know, I have some friends, wife's died too. And they're like, yeah, like, how'd you deal with it? I go, it just sucks. Like, you're going to feel like shit. I'm sorry. Like you got to deal with it. Just don't, you know, hopefully take care of yourself. Just I, 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 the only advice I can give you is I love you. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And yeah, you know, um, I'm here for you. I love you. You're not alone. Just don't like, you're going to have bad days. Well, and I think the other message that we touched on a little bit before is, um, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, um, like if you're starting a business, having been born and raised in Silicon Valley, like in the heart of Silicon Valley and seeing all of these friends and, um, you know, in the wider community doing startups and killing themselves, you know, working like, 16 hour days and their relationships falling apart. Yes. You're raising your hand. Yes. You, you, that's how my first marriage. (laughs) Right. And, um, and, you know, we always hear that, Oh, take care of yourself. And, and it feels like it's something selfish. Um, and yet it's actually the most unselfish thing you can do, right? Because if you want to take care of your, you know, usher your business into, or your book or, or whatever it is, your, play or musical that you're putting on you, you know, I mean, I've seen my, my, my students who are doing theater and um, you know, they always get sick, you know, during the show, be, during rehearsal process, because it's late nights and, and, you always. know, and, and then, they, and then their opening night comes and they don't have a voice or, you know, they're, yeah, it's happened to me too. So, um, you know, so, so easy to say, take care of yourself. So hard to do, but um, I mean, yeah, got it. Got I it. mean, every time you get on a plane, yeah. put your oxygen put mask your, on yeah, before you help someone else. And I know that sounds cliche and silly and like, it's a cliche, crazy, but crazy there's a reason uncle, cliches exist. Yeah, they're crazy, true. You know, crazy uncle Jari saying some stupid stuff yet again. No surprise. Right. <laughs> but if you don't have the capacity because you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. Everyone suffers. And everyone. And then when you had kids, like in my case, it was that, like, I think I have one line, you know, if I, oh, I think she said it, the social worker. So if you don't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. And that's, 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 that's the permission that I got. And then later I gave it to myself, right. To, to do it for me as well. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Social workers, they just don't get enough credit (laughs) or enough money (laughs) or enough money. Well, everyone's like, you know, why are there social workers at hospitals? Well, there's a reason it's because doctors can't do it. (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, I love doctors, right? You're a, you are a meat puppet to them. You're a problem to solve. They cannot get emotional about it as much as you want to connect. Because They're taking care of themselves by not getting. That's part of it. Then there's Nurses too. Nurses, nurses are more usually are better at bedside. Right. But, but um, especially surgeons. Yeah. <laughs> They're the hardest still, ones. There. Well, but yeah. still like, like, can you, I mean, I just, cause I remember like, you know, sometimes you get angry at the people taking care of your spouse, especially when your spouse dies. Um, it's a little resentful. Cause you're like, you've got all the, the alphabet soup after your name. Why didn't you figure this puzzle out? Right. Yeah. You should heal her. You should heal her. Like WTF. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's a perfectly natural thing to feel. It's uh, hard sometimes to reconcile. Um, But I just, I remember thinking about this one time and being like, if I was in their position, like, what would I do? You know, Mm -hmm. like, how would I handle it? 
And then I really found the compassion in that, like to mm. them. And, and it sounds silly, like, you know, and it's actually was forgiveness too, which I, I know sounds silly, but I mean, they did everything. Oh, it's not silly. It's well, but they did everything they could. And I did everything I could. And everyone did everything they could. Like I, I always sometimes second guess like, oh, what we would have done differently, but giving yourself that break. And sometimes it takes time. And I think even for, again, like getting back to running your own business, building your own thing, writing or whatever, you're going to have these zigs and zags, like stuff's not going to go the right way. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. Put the work in Mm -hmm. to try to prepare for that. But when it does happen, give yourself some compassion. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you wrote this book. I'm so glad you're sharing with it. And it must've been a horribly terrible, hard decision. It must be just like immensely like, gosh, this is, this tough. This is life. This is no, like no filter. And it's just beautiful. I think, I mean, I wish more people would talk about it and more people would write about it. That's at least my theory. So there you Thank go. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to read your book. That's ah, yeah. <laughs> I am so excited. Yeah, it's because I'm working with pretty Brooke thrilling. Yeah, I'm getting getting working with Brooke to get it out. So oh yeah, she's well awesome. she's a she's the best. She's definitely is. So thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Good luck with promotion on the book and uh, stay safe. You as well. Thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing your story. I know, uh, you know, you and I have got different experiences as caregivers, but uh, always interesting, insightful, and I think uh, just overall a good thing to talk about those different experiences. So thanks for that. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my conversation with Rachel. Rachel observes that caring for yourself is the most unselfish thing you can do. Once you take care of yourself, you can truly give to your family, your business, or anything else that needs your attention. Yeah, I'm fond of the saying, put on your own oxygen mask first (laughs) before you help others. And I think this is really important. I don't think it's selfish. I think you need to really understand self-care, self-regulation before you can all go off and, you know, help others. So really think to yourself, am I helping myself? Do I have what I need? And again, You know, there's a fine line between being totally selfish and totally like into yourself, but you know, you have to have your basic needs met. If you don't, you really won't be able to help others or build your business or be in a position to really understand, you know, the impacts and effects that other other things can have on you. So really good advice. Learn to value your offerings and your time. Rachel identifies this as a key to building a business and becoming better at what she does. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I always love the saying, uh, you can print money, but you can't print time. Uh, time, we all have the same 24 hours in the day. Some of us have more days than others, as we talked about on the podcast. So really ask yourself the questions of, is this the proper use of my time? Are people taking advantage of my time? Do people uh, tend to, you know, suck me down a rabbit hole when I shouldn't be. Time is so valuable. So really appreciate your time and be cautious with it. Give it to those that want to see you succeed. You know, it's really important. Give your time to those you love and those you want to see succeed. Everyone carries a burden, whether it's obvious or not. Compassion is key to building better relationships 
while also protecting your own peace. And this is so true. I actually had to learn this the hard way because I always thought empathy was the biggest thing that you could do for someone. It actually turns out that empathy kind of locks you into inaction. And I always say in order to have action, you need to have compassion. So the faster you can move from empathy to compassion, in my opinion, the more you can take action. So if you find yourself too empathetic, try to switch it around. Try to see the compassion in the situation and do something about it. So ask yourself the question, am I being too emotional? Is this, you know, too big a deal for me to handle right now? Or what actions can I take to make this situation better? It's a lot harder to do. And if you're someone that's very empathetic, it's hard to break the cycle of that. But empathy can drain you. And uh, you have to, again, be cautious of your time and your emotion to this. You know, it's got to take care of yourself in a non-selfish way. (laughs) So there you have it, the actionable insights that I learned from my awesome interview and emotional interview and um, intimate interview with Rachel. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.